Well, let's bow in prayer and ask God to bless his word as we open it this morning. Father, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. We thank you that it cuts into us and reveals things about ourselves that need to be revealed and revoked and, and confessed and changed. And we also pray, thank you, Lord, that it shows the path. It lights the way for us to walk on. And so, Father, we pray that you would do these things today, that you would light the path, that you would cut into us, that you would open up our hearts to your word. Uh, and so, Lord, that you would change us and create in us a new person, a person who fears you and is, is walking in your ways and uh, who, who turns to you when things get rough. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would anoint me, that I might speak your word in power and in truth. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as a pastor, um, the passages in the Bible that are directly directed at pastors have become kind of kind of personal for me. I, I like read them as if it's being written right to me. And I go, yeah, I need to listen to that. And uh, in Acts chapter 20, there's such a passage. It's Paul, and he's addressing the Ephesian church. And he says to, to them, um, he's been preaching there for three years, and he says to the elders of the church, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, be shepherds of the church of God, which he brought, bought with his own blood. Now, I don't, most of you probably know that the word shepherds here could easily be translated pastors. Be pastors of the flock that God has given you. The, the word is basically the same in French and in Spanish. Same word, right? Uh, we tried to do a translation of, of the word pastor, and, and it turned out to be... Sh- and, and we said, well, we don't want to use the word shepherd. We'll use the word... No, no, we don't want to use the word pastor. We're going to use the word shepherd. And and then we found out it's translated exactly the same way. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was just a whole different concept. Never mind what I'm saying. Basically, they mean the same thing. So this verse is speaking to me. um, And um, in his message to the the Ephesian elders... Paul says these incredible words. He says, I know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And I take this as kind of my mantra. I don't want to hesitate from preaching anything that would be helpful to all of you. That is my goal as a preacher. Uh, and, and then he, in verse 27, he says this, For I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole counsel of God to you. Now, as a preacher, I have my favorite topics. You know, the filling of the Spirit, the power of God for, for uh, action, the power of God over sin, uh, the proclamation of the gospel. <coughs> These are my favorite topics. And, and I would preach them all the time, if, <laughs> but you would all get bored of me and say, okay, enough of that, you know. Uh, but the Bible calls me to preach the whole counsel of God. Now, where is the counsel of God found? Everywhere, yes. The, the firmament proclaims the counsel of God. But where in particular is the counsel of God found? I'm looking for the Sunday school answer here, folks. The Bible, yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, it's particularly clear in the Bible, the whole counsel of God. 
And of course, when Paul says, I have preached the whole counsel of God, he's not saying that he's preached everything that God ever said to anybody ever. I mean, Paul is a finite being. How can he possibly preach the infinite counsel of God? And yet, Paul says, I preach, and if you look at it in the context, he's really talking about the whole counsel of God regarding salvation in particular. Um, but, you know, how do we preach the whole counsel of God? And way back 45 years ago, uh, I became a pastor. And I believed, and I heard taught at the seminary where I went, and I came to believe fully that the counsel of God, the whole counsel of God is found in the whole Bible, in that the, every part of the Bible is the Word of God and ought to be preached on. And so I did a little uh, summary of what I've been preaching here in the last 31 years. And I listed all the books of the Bible that I've preached on. And you'll be happy to know I'm halfway through. <laughs> Got another 30 years to go. <laughs> I've preached on 33 books of the Bible here, and there's another 33. And uh, so I uh, hope you don't get tired of me. I'll probably die before then. But, you know, like, don't worry, you know, God's got that in control. Um, but uh, it's kind of exciting to say, hey, you know, I preached on half of the Bible. And, uh, and so that's sort of the advantage of having a pastor who hangs around for a long time. I, I know there's disadvantages. You, you have to hear the same illustrations over and over. And, you know, you sort of get used to me and you're like, tune me out sometimes. Okay, I get it. But the advantage is that... Um, if, if you have the, the concept that I do, that I want to preach on different things all the time, uh, we, we slowly make our way through the whole Bible. And uh, I find it exciting. And uh, so this, uh, the, last year we ended with the, the series on um, Encounters with Christ. Uh, of course, we don't want to end Encounters with Christ. <laughs> I hope that still happens as I preach. But... Um, I was thinking maybe it would be good to, to go to the Old Testament. And so I asked the Lord, you know, what, what should I preach on? You know? And, and, and I've kind of used up all the good books, you know? So I was like, Lord, you know, like, what, what's left? You know? <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, all of the Bible is a good book. The, the scriptures say that all scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching and reproof and, and correction and guiding in righteousness. And, and so I asked the Lord, you know, well, what would you like me to preach on? And I just heard, I felt in my spirit him saying, well, what's wrong with the passages you're reading for your daily devotions? Uh, I'm on a, on a three-year plan of reading the Bible in three years, so I read a chapter a day and just meditate on it, and, and this is what I do. And I don't do it every day, don't get me wrong, I'm not that spiritual, but... <laughs> I try to. <laughs> I'm in a covenant relationship with someone to keep me on track. <laughs> so, um, but um, in that process, the Lord just said, why don't you, and I'm like, I'm in First Samuel. And, uh, and, and the Lord kind of went like, well, aren't you enjoying it? And I'm like, yeah, it's really good. So what's the problem? And I'm like, okay. And so that's why we're in 1 Samuel this morning. <laughs> we're going to be looking at uh, Sam, Samuel's life. And uh, I don't know where we're going to end up, but uh, we might start getting into the kings and all that stuff. Uh, but we're definitely going to start with Samuel. And, um, oh, I didn't, I, I wanted to say more about... 
these verses. Oh, well, anyways, good enough. Moving on. Um, so that's the backstory on why we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 1. So if you look, grab your Bibles. Let's just open her up to 1 Samuel chapter 1. Um, the, the, the story starts with this particular guy from Raphidim, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elahu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Oh, that's a lot of information that we're not sure what to do with. But anyways, it's a guy. There's this dude, basically. And in uh, and, and this guy, this guy has a couple of wives. And we're kind of like, a couple of wives? Isn't this guy a scriptural? You know, like, what's going on? Yeah, he doesn't explain. Just has a couple of wives. One's called Hannah. The other's called Panana. Panaya. Panina. Oh, I've been practicing that word all morning. Uh, Panina had kids. And Hannah had none. And uh, now apparently, uh, at that time, they didn't see much conflict with having polygamy. Uh, it, it wasn't spelled out yet in the, in the Bible that that's a no-no. Uh, and so uh, it just seems like uh, this was okay. And in fact, what we learn from this guy, Elkanah, is that he was quite a religious fellow. And so it just seemed like polygamy was fine at that time. Uh, this story will actually help us understand why God said, no, none of that. <laughs> it's a polygamy. And so we're going to get into that. Um, but year after year, um, and this is how we know this man was a spiritual man, year after year, he would go up to Shiloh, which is where the temple was, and he would offer sacrifices to the Lord. And uh, Phineas and, um, and uh, what was that other guy, guy's name? Hophni were the priests there. And they were the sons of Eli. Now, we find out later that they weren't two good guys. But anyways, they were priests. And so Elkanah would go there with his two wives and all of his kids. Um, And whenever the time came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to his wife, Peniah, and and to her kids, all of her kids. And there was quite a few of them. But he would give a double portion of meat to Hannah, and the Bible says it's because he loved her, and the Bible also says the Lord had closed her womb. And whenever they would go up to the temple like this, and it's interesting, I, I find, that here they are going up to the temple, and whenever this happened, uh, this was the time when uh, Paniah would rub salt in Hannah's wound. Hannah was barren, she didn't have children, and And Paniah would just ridicule her for that. Now, I have a feeling that this rivalry between these two women was pretty in-depth. It was pretty deep. I mean, Hannah is getting a double portion of meat because Elkanah loved her. But Paniah, her name means pearl, and she might have been really beautiful. Uh, and, And... and so there's this rivalry going on. And to get the upper hand, when, when, and, and in those days when you had kids, that meant you were blessed of God. And basically if you didn't have kids as a woman, people thought there was something wrong with you. And it was, a, it was your identity that you were able to bear children for your husband and for God. And if you didn't, then 
thumbs down to you. And that was just normal in that culture. And uh, hopefully today we're a little more enlightened. But I've talked to women who are barren or who aren't, aren't able to have children. It's still a major issue, let me tell you. It is still very much part of a self-image uh, that is very, uh, they take it very personally. Anyways, when this provo- provocation by the rival wife, wife would happen to Hannah, uh, her husband, Elkanah, he would try to comfort her. And he would say things like, you know, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why, why don't you eat? Uh, you know, why are you so downhearted? I think he knew the answer to those questions. But he kept asking her that. And then he would say, aren't I more valuable to you than ten sons? I think he was trying his best. Okay? Uh, we're going to talk about that later. But once they finished eating one time, they're, they're at the temple, they're eating, they're feasting, they're celebrating, they're worshiping God, but Hannah's not eating. She has just had enough of this. She is frustrated. She's hurt. She's downcast. And, uh, and so they finished eating, and Hannah gets up. And the next thing it says is that Eli was sitting by the temple. And somehow we find Hannah over there by the temple. And, uh, and it says that in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. You ever been in that spot? I have. Weeping bitterly, anguish of soul. It's not a great place. And as she kept on praying to the Lord, or or, I'm sorry, and she made a vow to the Lord. She said, oh, Lord Almighty, if you would just give me a son, I will dedicate him to you for all his days, and he will ever minister before you. Um, and no razor will ever touch his head. He will be a Nazarite. And that was her commitment to God. Um, and then she kept on praying. And while she's praying, she's, she's mouthing the words of her prayer. But she's not saying anything. And Eli, the priest, is sitting in his office, you know. And, and he looks her at her. She's maybe on the steps of the... And he's like, what in the world's going on with this lady? And he's like... Her lips are moving, but she's not. Oh, she must be drunk. And she, he gets up and he says, Hey, woman, uh, get, get off the steps of the, the, the temple. If you're drunk, go, go take your drunkenness somewhere else. And she says, Oh, no, my Lord. Out of the anguish of my heart, I'm pouring out my soul to God. And, uh, and I'm in, in deep anguish. Um, I, I'm... I'm I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've been up and drinking wine or beer. Don't take me as for one of the wicked women. So she, I don't think she was offended, but she, she was just saying, hey, you know, you misjudged me. And the high priest says to her, he says, um, go in peace. May the God of Israel grant you what you've asked of him. And then I love what it says next in the text. She got up, she ate, and her, her face was brightened. Her, her countenance changed. She went, okay, I'm putting that all to, to God. I'm giving it to God. And, uh, and off she went. And then they went home, 
And Elkanah made love to Hannah, and she bore a child. And Hannah called him Samuel because she says, I prayed for to the Lord for him. Great story, eh? Like, you can see why you like this passage, this, this story. And, and there's a lot of stories in 1 Samuel. Uh, and um, it's, a, it's a great op- opening. I told you it's interesting. <laughs> and the, pertinent, the, the story is just so pertinent for us today. I mean, who doesn't have a time in their life where they're in anguish? Who doesn't have a time in their life when they are weeping before the Lord? I know, you know, before I was 20, I didn't have any time in my life like that. My life was just tickety-boo. I didn't have problems in my life. And I remember the first time anguish hit my life was when my sister's husband and her broke up. And I just met Jennifer at the time. And I was brokenhearted. And I, I was upset. That's the first time. So, yes, there might be some of you that it's never happened to yet. But let me tell you, it's coming. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble. He wasn't joking. There's trouble in our lives. Um, and, and so there's this, and there's been a few times in my life that had me down on the floor in deep anguish, praying to the Lord and weeping bitterly. Hmm. Funny about that. So did she. We could show up hands I'm sure most of the hands in the room will go up if you've ever had a time of deep anguish praying to the Lord. Now, I, I know I share my life pretty open from up here, uh, but there's been times in my life of deep bitterness and sorrow of my soul and anguish. And they're pretty personal. And I kind of keep them between me and the Lord most of the time. Uh, but I will share one of these times with you a little later in, on in the service. The point is that we, when Jesus said, you know, in this life you'll have trouble, he wasn't joking. Uh, and sometimes it just feels like God's got you going through the ringer. And he's just wringing out every ounce of goodness out of you. And you just feel like your life is being, just being squeezed. The life is actually being squeezed out of you. Uh, and I'm actually in one of those spots right now, actually. And, uh, and so this p- passage is a great comfort to me, but it's also a great challenge. And so I'm just sharing that with you. Uh, and, but I don't want to talk about my issues this morning, so let's just talk about Hannah, okay? <laughs> uh, she's got this rival wa- wife in her life. Now, maybe you've got a rival sister. I know sisters tend to do that. <laughs> uh, I got two sisters, uh, and, and uh, Jennifer has two sisters. And yeah, we know that sisters can, can be rivals. Uh, maybe you have a rival at work going for the promotion and trying to get ahead of you, and, and you're, you're in competition for that promotion. I don't know. But I'm telling you, I don't think there can be any worse rival than a rival wife. I mean, really? You got to share your your husband with someone else? Ugh, that's personal. That's difficult. I mean, that I mean, everything about us cries out. Ugh, that's not nice at all. Who would want that? Um, and and so um, it seems that Elkanah might may have married Paniah. Because Hannah wasn't giving him any kids. 
And in those days, it was really, really important to have kids. And so it's possible that Peniah was the substitute wife, that he really loved ha uh, Hannah, but, oh, we're going to bring someone else on board here so we can have kids. Uh, can you imagine being in a household where there's four or five kids running around? And they're always looking at you like, oh, you're the, you're the extra wife. You know, you don't really belong in this family. This family is growing. We have kids all over the place. It's... And then the other wife just harassing her to put it on top of it, you know. I don't know. And then, you know, and now Elkanah's trying to be helpful. He's trying to be sympathetic. And we, we get his heart, and he's, he's trying to help out. But gentlemen, if your wife is not bearing children, do not take his example and say to your wife, aren't I better than ten sons? It's a different thing, okay? She may love you. She may love you very much. But it's not the same as sons, okay? It's different. So don't try to get in there and try to ante it up. It, it's just kind of like, it's, it's not helpful, okay? It's, it's uh, in... Particularly for Hannah, her identity is wrapped up in whether or not she can have children and her ability to have kids. And she's got to share her husband with a number, another woman. And I don't think I'm better than ten, ton, 10 sons while she has to share her this husband with someone else. Probably didn't really resonate with her very well. She might be thinking, yeah, well, if you would have loved me, you would have just stuck with me you know I don't know what she was thinking we don't know um, so anyways anyone everyone else is worshiping God and you know this this is what 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 really gets me is that this is supposed to be a, a pilgrimage trip to Shiloh where God is being worshiped but what is happening the rival wives are bickering uh, he's giving you a double portion. Yeah, but <laughs> I got five kids. Now, you notice in the passage that it says that she had sons and daughters, plural. Okay? So that means that there's at least four kids. Okay? And, and uh, Peniah is just rubbing it in. And it is upsetting Hannah. And it says, it says year after year this would go on. And so I don't know whether it was every time they went to the temple or it just was constant. But it was tough. How many of you have been in a situation like that? Uh, I, I, don't, I wasn't going to raise hands. But yeah, probably not quite like that. <laughs> we don't have rival wives, I hope. Um, but we do have cheating spouses. And it is very intense and difficult. And so you may have been in a situation where uh, you feel akin to Hannah here. And, uh, and you've been abused and misused. Um, and ridiculed. And so Hannah just can't eat, you know. There's all this pressure. But it's supposed to be this lovely time of worship. But Hannah's not eating. She's upset. She's, I'm not sure that she's worshiping. And unfortunately, in the church, in youth groups, there's a lot of rivalry a lot of times. And people are mean to one another. When they're supposed to be worshiping God... And they're out sharpening their knives, their theological knives to stab it into each other. It's terrible. 
And a lot, there's a lot to say about this. You know, they're off going to worship, but they're, they're bringing their anger, resentment, bitterness into the worship service, into Shiloh. Let's, let's be careful about that, friends. Let's be careful about that. That is not how we worship God. And so this thing's going on. And finally, it says in verse 8, I believe it was, Hannah stood up. <laughs> I, I don't know if this means she's standing up for herself or what she's really doing, but she gets up. And this is a turning point, point in, in the story. Uh, she's, she's had enough. And she heads off and she takes it to the Lord in prayer. Now, I believe that uh, there's a lot of commentators that go like, oh, wow, Hannah's so spiritual. And they try to spiritualize this whole thing and say, isn't she a great example of prayer, of fasting, of seeking the Lord? And I'm like, I, I don't see that in the story. I mean, I think, I, yes, I do see a woman who turns to the Lord, but it's like a last resort, and she's not fasting. She's just not eating because she's upset. Like, uh, and, and I'm like, yeah. And she's jealous of her, her rival wife who has four kids. Is jealousy a good, wholesome thing? Not really. But the thing that stands out is in her despair, in her frustration, she turns to the Lord. That's the thing. That sets her apart. Now there's a couple roads open to people who are frustrated with life and discouraged in despair. And one is the root of despair and the little dungeon of self-pity. But there's another route that we can take. And that is to stand up and do something. And Hannah chooses that route rather than the self-pitying, wallowing in despair route. And I believe that is what marks Hannah as a great woman of God. That in her lowest point, she turns to God. And she is in despair, crying out to God. And so, um, she's asking the Lord of hosts to give her not a son or daughter. You notice that? She says, I want a son. <laughs> she's very specific. And I will dedicate him to God if I get one. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard of people making deals with God. It's not always a great thing. And here Hannah, this woman of God, um, is, is making a deal with God. If you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you forever. Now, I've heard of this happening other times, you know. And there's the classic example. Someone's driving through the parking lot looking for a, a spot, right? And, and finally, he's so frustrated. You know, it's raining. They don't want to walk from, you know, the corner of the parking lot all the way into the Sobeys. And, uh, and so they pray, you know, Lord, can you please uh, find me a parking spot close to the door? And all of a sudden, miraculously, right there in front of them, a spot opens up. Oh, never mind, Lord. Uh, one just opened up. <laughs> yeah, you've heard the classic example, right? And, and then if you add a bargaining chip in there, yeah, oh, oh, we're, you know, you're off the hook. You know, it just opened up. Come on. This is the thing. We need to have ears to hear what God is saying. And we need to put our trust in what God, what God is doing. And Hannah here is there, and she does make a deal with God. But she doesn't back out of it. 
She doesn't say, oh, well, I guess I was fertile after all. She doesn't say, oh, well, uh, you know, apparently we just had to have more, more making love sessions. Or She doesn't do any of that. She recognizes this is a miracle. This is God involved. And she, we'll find out later in the story, that she lives up to this deal that she made with God. And she does, in fact, give her son over to the Lord to live for him all the days of his life. And this is the beginning, of course, of Samuel, the, the great prophet. And things change. Um, and, of course, then, then we have this very interesting thing where she meets with, um, with um, <clears throat> Eli. And, and, and she's praying. And... and you know, he mistakes her for a drunken woman and all that. And then he, he says this. this. <clears throat> I think I have it on the screen. Can we go to the next slide? <clears throat> uh, the slide. Uh, yeah, that's the, and the next slide. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Now, did he promise she would have a child? from this passage. No. He's just doing his priestly thing. Oh, may God, you know, I do it all the time. May God answer your prayers. I pray for people all the time. Oh, well, you know, I pray that you would have a, have a child. He didn't promise her anything. But, and I, this happens to me all the time as well, she takes it as a, uh, as a holy man telling her, that her prayers are going to get answers, or, or at least gives her a whole lot of help. Here is the, the officer in charge of the worship of God telling her that may, may, may God grant you. And, and I get this all the time. People look to me as if I'm some super spiritual giant, and my prayers are always answered. And you know what? They're answered because of the people's faith in God that he'll answer my prayers. And I'm like, okay, well, whatever. Um, I don't think I'm a super spiritual giant whose prayers are always answered. But I think sometimes people take it that way. And I think sometimes God blesses the people who step out in faith and take it that way. And I think that's what happened here. Is that Hannah took Eli's blessing and, and he says, May the Lord's favor be on you. And that's the meaning of Hannah's name. And he says, you know, and she takes it as a word from the Lord. And her face is brightened, and she goes around, and she eats. In other words, she's saying, okay, I've given it to God, and it's, it's in his hands now. So let me, let me just share about how this happened to me one time a few years back. One of my kids was uh, 17 and, and 7 eighths years old, okay? Uh, he was about to have his 18th birthday, and he said, Dad, we need to go out and talk. You know, you always say you're so proud of me, but you don't know me that well. I'm like, what? And he says, I've been struggling with faith for the last few years. And I said, yeah, I know that. And he says, I don't believe in God anymore. I didn't say, yeah, I know that, but I did sort of know that. I was brokenhearted. I went home. And I bawled my eyes out from like 11 till 4 in the morning. Just wept bitterly before the Lord. This is, this is where I felt like Hannah. And I bargained with God. And I said, God, his, his, he says 
that he doesn't believe because he hasn't seen you. He says that I get all the miracles, but he doesn't get any. And he says, you know, that the, the evolution that he's learned in high school, that that's what makes sense to him. And that the God of the Bible doesn't really make sense. I mean, if he showed himself to him, then he'd believe. But he doesn't show himself to me, he says. And so I was really upset. And I said to God, I said, you're going to damn him forever in hell because you didn't show yourself to him. I love him. And I don't want him to go to hell. I was upset. <laughs> Still... <laughs> Those feelings were very raw at the time. And I must have said something in my sermons. I'm pretty transparent, you know. Most people didn't notice. But there was one person who, had, who actually has a learning disability. And she, she asked me, are you all right, Pastor? And I said, no, I'm, I'm, I've had better days. Uh, this is going on for months, right? After after he, my son said this to me, and she said, "Okay, Pastor, I'm going to bring you something." I'm like, "Okay," and I actually brought the gift. I, I took the gift down, but I forgot to bring it with me. <laughs> she brought me a shelf, a little shelf. It's about this big. I took it down. It's on my desk right now. It's about that big. And she said, Pastor, this is a God shelf. And she had written on the bottom of it, God shelf. And she said, why don't you mount this somewhere and take whatever burden that's burdening your heart, whatever trouble you have, put it on that God shelf and give it to God. And I was like, that's amazing. That is the nicest gift anyone has ever given me. <laughs> well, you know that. Spent so much. She, she made this thing out of wood. It's not the prettiest gift you've ever seen. But I'm telling you, it was a beautiful gift. And I screwed it on the wall of my office above the door into my office. And I took a photo of that sun. And I put that photo on that shelf. And I said, God, please answer my prayer that he would come to know you. And my office had been painted a couple years before, and it's a beautiful paint job. It's really nice. It's perfect paint in my, my office. And all of a sudden, about three weeks after putting the shelf up there, I noticed there was a crack in the paint above the shelf. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And then two weeks later, I noticed that again, the crack had actually peeled the paint back off the wall above the shelf, right above the shelf. And, I was, and God spoke to me right then. He said, I'm breaking through to answer this prayer. It was like God was putting his hand through the wall to pick up that photo and putting it to his heart. And, and I was just like, oh my goodness. And, and I felt exactly like Hannah did at that point when she heard Eli say, may the Lord answer your prayer. My face brightened my countenance changed. I said, the Lord's got this. And I'm, you know, I still prayed about it, but I let it go to God. And uh, if you were at that son's wedding, you would have heard him tell the story. 
and uh, about two months later, I thought within the next 10 years, God is going to answer this prayer. And that was my hope. But about two months later, I got a phone call or a text message at 3.15 in the morning. <laughs> and it said, are you awake, Dad? <laughs> I texted back, yep, what's up? And he phones me, 3.15 in the morning. And he says, Dad, um, my fiancé and I got in a fight. And... Uh, I told her that God never talks to me. And she said, that's because you never listen. <laughs> yeah, oh, now I'm telling secrets. Oh, dear. <laughs> Didn't mean to say that part, but anyways. <laughs> and so he went out and he started reading his Bible. And he got to the, the story of Jesus saying, what are you building your, your life on, a rock or sand? And God spoke to him and said, you're building your life on sand and it's going to come crashing down unless you build it on the rock. And he confessed that he was away from God. And he turned back to God. I didn't do anything. God did it. God reached down, got a hold of him. And you know, up till he was 17 and three quarters, he believed in his parents' God. He wasn't very good. It didn't help him go anywhere. But now he has a personal relationship with the Almighty God. And he's actually considering going into ministry. He's considering, he's, he's hoping to apply to Wycliffe and all this kind of stuff. And I'm just like blowing my mind, you know. And I, I just see God at work. Would that have happened if he just kept on with his parents' faith? I don't think so. He's very inquisitive. He's, you know, he has this uh, liberal Bible that explains everything in a liberal way, and he stopped reading that book. He stopped reading it. He's like, no, I'm going to just stick with the Bible. Um, and God has changed his life. So this, you see the parallels, right? The point is, where do you go? When the sky is falling. You know, I may have wept half the night, the night I found out about this. But right now in my current situation, I've wept a lot. But I'm, I haven't gone to the Lord the same way as I did then. And I need to. And so I'm just like being chastised by my own sermon. <laughs> and I'm going to spend some time with the Lord and weeping and praying and over this thing. You know, it reminds me of what my mom would always say. When I would come to my mom, i say... Oh, mom, this and that, and I'd complain and I'd whine. She would always say the same thing. You know what she would say? Have you prayed about it? <laughs> yes, mom, I prayed. I'd lie. I'd lie right to her face. Yeah, yeah, I prayed about it. Yeah. I don't know what's wrong with me. I just like, and that's what Han does. This is, this is what this whole message is about. It's about. Turning to God in our despair. And uh, it's very easy to just wallow in self-pity. Today we can go to the psychiatrist. We can go to get some drugs to make us happy. Or we can go out in the street and get some drugs to make us happy. We can do all kinds of things. But the only thing that's really going to make the difference 
is weeping and crying and pouring our bitter hearts out towards the Lord. And that's the thing that God hears. That's the thing God looks down upon and says, yes, this is what I'm looking for, a, a soul that is, that is just desperate for me to intervene, a soul that is desperate for God to do something. Uh, you know, the Bible says the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There, and, and I look through the various translations, and this word fervent is urgent, and there's so many different translations of that word. But, but our prayers need to be fervent. They need to be urgent. They need to be passionate. And God is one who opens up. Now, this is the last thing I want to say today. Would Samuel have ever been born if there wasn't a Paniah to torment Hannah? I don't know. doesn't appear like it, though. And so this great prophet who far outshines all of Panana's kids, we never hear any of their names or what they ever did, this great prophet is born to this woman. Why? Because of her turmoil and because of her tormentor. It actually says that. She had a tormentor. Have you ever thought that the tormentor in your life, the Paniah in your life, might be the hand of God moving you to fall on your face in prayer and cry out to God in desperation and that God might have planted that, that terrible person in your life, that terrible situation in your life, just to push you to, do, to ask for a miracle, just to push you into a situation where you're so desperate for God that you are weeping and crying before him. Powerful thought. <laughs> Scary thought. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we know that you work out all things for the good of those who fear you and trust you. And so, Lord, when we are faced with trials, difficulties, frustrations, Lord, we, we tend to try to solve them on our own and fight back and stop eating and being grumpy and all that kind of stuff. And Lord, we confess, these, these are all wrong. Um, and Lord, we just want to come to you in prayer. And we just want to come to you in, in humbleness and ask you to change our situation. And make it, put your favor on us, Lord. Answer our prayers, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I, I want to just clarify one thing. As I was praying, I realized it could be misunderstood, okay? Uh, I'm not against psychiatrists or psychologists, okay? Or medications, okay? Just want to clear that up. God can use all those things for his glory. Uh, but uh, let's have our first turn towards God. Let's have our first desire towards him and God can give us all these other things to benefit us um, so I, I just wanted to clarify that <laughs> okay uh, worship team come and, and let's uh, worship the Lord together